Good morning. Whoa, here I am. Hello. I'll let him get adjusted to it. There you go. I am not Kent. Found that out about 6 o'clock last night. Had a wonderful call from Diane, and she goes, uh, Hey, Jeff, what are you doing? You know, when people call you and you just get that feeling something's coming, and because I knew that if it was something to do with work, that Kent would be calling me, as he usually does anyway, to ask the question for the fifth and the sixth and the seventh and the eighth time. But anyway, so when she said that, already had a premonition of what was coming on, didn't know what exactly the whole backstory was, but she said that Kent and she had gone out to eat at the fish fry. And when they came back from the fish fry, he noticed he wasn't feeling well. And yesterday he developed a temperature. And I don't know how all that fish fry, Good Friday thing, you know, all that stuff works out. But whatever evil was in his body, he, uh, evidently the fish started to attack that is what I'm assuming. So um, he was uh, unable to be here. And as Kevin said, that's just not Kent. And on this day, I ask that you pray for my friend um, who is suffering. Um, he gets a whole lot more sick than I do. So it, I, I really pray all the time for a lot of understanding and discernment in my life. Because I don't need to be critical of the fact that he's a wimpy guy. And <laughs> everything seems to affect him. But today, I knew that we were starting a sermon series. And one of the things I can tell you this morning, I've had several people come up and tell me that they were praying for me. And in years past, I, I've had the same thing whenever I speak. And I really, really, really covet prayer all the time. But two weeks ago, uh, my friend Kent had stuck me at a place called Emmaus. And I'll be very honest with you that I went to the Emmaus walk because he bothered me so much about it. Doesn't sound like a great reason to do it, but I had always heard about it. I had been on solitude journeys for ministry and stuff like that, so I said, it's not that big of a deal. I'll go for him, but this will get Ken off of my back. And um, as I went up there, the one thing that they ask you to do is be reflective in your own life. And I look back over 30 years of ministry that I've gotten to do, and one of the things that I've always taken for granted and admitted to God over that weekend was the fact that the power of prayer and being in his word daily really helps in cases like I am today. Because at 6 o'clock when I received that phone call, there wasn't a panic. There wasn't a moment of unease. When I came in today, I still had to go get the donuts so you guys would have something to eat. You know, I wasn't rushing to church early this morning. But it was uh, just that sense that God was going to be able to speak. And that's been my prayer since last night. And I want you to know that that was my prayer as I was sitting here getting ready to come up here. Is that what you hear from me today is not me. Um, it might reference me in some ways. It might reference things in, uh, that are familiar to me. But it's God's word. And I just ask that the Holy Spirit be in this place. And opening like this, I just want to take a moment and just give God uh, the time and the place this morning. So join with me for prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you today because as we gather in this place, um, we have the opportunity to meet you face to face. And you've heard me uh, through the wee hours of last night, this morning, and you know that it's my hope and my desire, Father, that nothing that is said is about me, but it's about you.
and it draws honor and glory to you. And Father, I know that in this day when Ken is sick, um, we just ask you to put your spirit in his heart, give him healing, uh, but also let him have a sense of calm and understanding that you're still in control of all the things that go on behind the scenes. And Father, today as we gather here and open up your word, we just hope that it just speaks to us and touches us in a way that we walk out of here just a little bit different than the way that we came in. So be with us in this time and guide and direct us. And we pray these things in Christ's most precious name. Amen. If you noticed on the bumper, the sermon series that we're beginning today is called Jesus Is. And I, I tell you what, I am so tired of Facebook blue and white. But I, I like this emblem, and I know it's all over the bulletin. The other day when um, they were printing those things out, it's one of those things that captures your eye. And just the thought about who Jesus is means that everybody in here has a different view, a different definition, because Jesus has done something in your life on a different basis. And a lot of times we get caught up in the fact that we try to make ourselves familiar with what everybody's going through and we understand what's going on. And that just doesn't happen. Because each one of us has our own personal path that we're on and only God knows what that path is and can direct us so today is I was looking over notes and, and going through some things there's there's a couple of things that stood out to me as far as Jesus that Jesus is my friend and I use that term not as a passive term not as a bumper sticker but it's the truth um, because before I go to anybody else and Kendra knows this because I told her this early in our marriage that um, know that when I come to you with something that we need to deal with or a consequence that I've already prayed about it and I try to I, I try to you know that that ability just to be able to sit down and talk and say Jesus is a friend to me he's the one that goes through all this stuff as I travel um, but there are a lot of things that Jesus are to us and you know the familiar ones that are found in scripture Especially in the New Testament, you hear that Jesus is our Redeemer. You saw some of them flash up there. He's our Prince of Peace. You know, He is um, the one and only Son of God. And all those things are true. And they ring true. But a lot of times we get a churchy kind of feel for that. And we can spit them out before we stop and think about what Jesus really is in our lives. So today I wanted to share with you a couple of things. And we're going to look at a piece of scripture in Matthew chapter 9 in just a little bit. But um, the story that I'm going to be uh, conveying to you out of Matthew deals with the calling of Matthew. And I always found it really, really interesting, the fact that you have to wait to get to chapter 9 of the book of Matthew to get to his calling. Because if you're looking at everything in the text, you're sitting there going, well, why didn't he just talk about that from the very beginning? Why doing it? And it really dawned on me after reading these verses of Scripture, and I hope you can see it too, that the reason why is because God's timing is not our timing. And the story today is Jesus is coming into a city, and he confronts Matthew for the first time um, and asks him a very important question. Is because that was the right time. You know, all of us, we have a desire in our lives. We always want to be accepted. We always want to be included. And there's a couple of things that um, uh, I know for sure. That when it comes to people, we all like to have friends. 
We all like to be invited places. And we always want to feel like we're important. And a lot of times in our lives, it's more about the party that we get to attend in our lives than it is about anything else. Think about it. Think about the last party that you went to, a, a party that you've seen and you wanted to go to. Seems like fun. You see people having fun. They're mingling. When you go to a party, what are some of the stuff you see? You usually see a lot of food. You see a lot of people that put on a, a banquet table. You see uh, uh, you know, people dancing, celebratory, only because we're Baptists. I just want to tell you that. Yeah, I'm sure that it doesn't go on. But anyway, uh, you see dancing. You see uh, all the laughing and the joking. You see tables, don't you? Usually people are sitting around tables. And it's funny the way that tables have evolved. When I started in church life, which was, I think, at five days old, over at Bullitsburg, um, and from that point on, I've always known churches to have tables that are always a rectangular shape. Think about it. There weren't round tables. And nowadays, when you go out to the church, one of the questions that Joanne is asked most when somebody uses our fellowship hall, do you have round tables? Can we use the round tables? It's gotten to the point to even with our mops group downstairs, they went out and bought a smaller version of the round tables because people center around the table and they look at the table as a place of gathering and trust and laughter and sharing. And you go into small group life. When I started doing small group ministry, the first thing I learned is circles are better than rows. So everybody wanted to be grouped around something. So a lot of the times when you go to conferences and things, you're put around a table and you talk to people. Two weeks ago, when I'm sitting there with a bunch of gentlemen and we're divided up in a group, and I'm going to tell you this, that I'm the worst Emmaus ambassador there is because they tell you all the time, well, you don't want to be talked about. I talk about it. I'm sorry. Okay? It's a good time. I, I believe in sharing blessings. I don't know about you. But anyway, we're centered around tables. And there's a lot of talking, there's a lot of sharing, there's a lot of openness, a lot of crying, a lot of scripture reading. A lot of things happen around tables. And when uh, Kent had set up his illustration, he came to my office the other day, he told me what he was going to do. There was originally two tables here, and I took one away because I, there's only two tables. Um, but you see the sign reserved on there, and you don't see that sign for what I'm about to tell you. But I bet you all can remember school. Can't you? One of my fondest times in school was lunch every day. I resemble that remark as I posted yesterday in something else. I love going to lunch. And one of the things that I look forward to and one of the most exciting things about going to lunch in a, was walking into the, ca uh, into the cafeteria. We never called it the cafeteria. Did you guys call it the cafeteria? We called it the lunchroom. Exactly. Yeah, that's where we ate lunch. You know, we'd go in the lunchroom and I'd go through the line and get my milk and my food, my two milks and my doubles on food, and I'm just being honest. And as I go through the line, I walk out the door and I would hear somebody yell, hey, Axel, over here, over here. And I'd look over and it'd be one of my buddies from whatever, you know, group it was hanging out, and I'd walk over that way. Now, I just shared something very intimate with you about me, and I don't share it very much, but my nickname in high school was Axel. 
and it wasn't because of Beverly Hills Cop. It was because every day I would leave my house at 745 to hit the 755 bell. So that means I was getting out of bed at 730. I was in the shower. I had hair. That's one miracle. I had hair, had a lot of hair. And I would take my hair, and my hair would be pushed all the way back, almost like uh, in, the, in the movie Grease. I was already pushed back. It didn't put anything in it, but it was wet, and I would walk in my first period class, which was a health class, and everybody knew me as Axel. You know, it was referring to Axel Green is what it was. You know, they, they came up with this term of endearment. But anyway, you'd walk into the cafeteria, they'd scream at Axel, and I'd walk over into the cafeteria, and I'd walk in, and I would sit with my buddies, and for the next 40 minutes or so, it was cutting up, making fun of each other, joking around, and then you head out the door. So that was a very fond time when I think about tables. Tables were great in my house because my mom knew how to fill it up. And once again, you look at me, and that doesn't surprise any of you. There, there were three men in the house, and my mother, God help her, and when she would put food on the table, there was one rule. You move slow, you don't eat. Because after the word amen came in, everybody's hands went to the middle of the table and were grabbing. These are great memories, aren't they? And you think about it today, that we even brand that table look, especially around the holidays. That everybody is sitting around the holidays, sitting around the table, and they're eating together. It's when family comes together. It might be the one time a year that they all get together, but it's great time because things are going to be shared there, and things are going to go through uh, your minds and through your mouths that you might not share with people any other time except when you're face-to-face. So the table is a very, very special place. So when I think about Jesus, I think about the table. I mean, I grew up where there was the Lord's Supper table on Communion Sunday, and we would all gather, and we would share from that table. And what a very special and opening time that is for us. But as this story goes on, I just want to read here, uh, coming out of chapter 9, starting in verse 9. It says, as Jesus came, or as Jesus went on from there, He saw a man named Matthew sitting at the toll booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he got up and he followed him. While he was reclining at a table in the house, many tax collectors and sinners came to eat with Jesus and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and with sinners? Now, when he heard this, Jesus said, it is not those who are well that need a doctor, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I didn't come to call the righteous, but the sinners. I read that verse of scripture, there's a couple of things that come out to me. And especially in this time of year, uh, today is going to be utter chaos in a lot of lives. I've seen so many people today wearing their colors of the school that they follow. They've been watching their teams. They've been talking about Selection Sunday. And you know, yesterday as I was watching a couple of games, the one thing that stood out to me was 
the amount of branding that goes on anymore. Did you ever notice that? There isn't a team that doesn't have a brand on them somehow. I even follow a team in the Premier Soccer League in England. I follow a team called Crystal Palace. In every one of those teams, they are loaded with logos and brands. And if that's not enough, I flip over a channel and they're talking about Tiger Woods and how well he's playing golf this weekend and he's coming back. And everything that these golfers have is nothing but a brand. And last night as I'm sitting there and I'm going over this scripture and I'm thinking about uh, tables and sitting around them, I'm realizing that we've been branded for a long time. Think about it. Some of us in this room, we were jocks. We would sit together. You always hung out with the guys that played on a sports team or you hung out with it. Some of you, you played in the band and you hung out with those people. Some of it, it could be, I don't know, just common interest, art club, things like that. Sometimes it's just hanging out with people. When I was in church growing up, yeah, I did hang out with the jocks a little bit, but more importantly, I hung out with my youth group. And when we've hung together, we've all had times in our lives, we've all known each other in our lives. I mean, it was, it was what we were known by. You would walk into my school, and you could point out the kids that went to Main Street Baptist Church, Alexander United Methodist Church, the Assemblies of God Church, Plum Creek Christian Church. You could pick out the ones that are going to Asbury Methodist. And it wasn't too many years later, I was 12 years old, I got the first phone call to go play church softball. And the first people to ever brand me was my own church. It said Main Street Baptist right across our softball field. And I walked on that field and I felt so important because I was part of that group. And a lot of those guys are still my friends. So the branding thing, I'm not saying is necessarily a bad thing, but you have to give into the concept that even in biblical times there was a branding going on. When you read this verse of scripture, you start to realize a couple of things. That everybody had a brand. Jesus had a brand. Remember the things that he was doing. He was out healing people. He was the one that was feeding the people that were hungry. You had multitudes of people gathering to listen to him speak. You had people that were gathering around, and they, every time he'd walk down the street, it's, un, uh, it's unimaginable how many people are just whispering, hey, did you see Jesus? Did you see where he was? And they're doing. Some people were just doing it out of the sake of just talking about Jesus, and some of them were doing it because they were trying to find fault with Jesus. And as you read this scripture, it talks about Jesus walking into a town. Now, here is one of the interesting facts that I figured out about this, that Jesus had a brand, and I can prove that from the very beginning of this scripture, because it says that when he saw Matthew sitting at the toll booth, he said to him, follow me. And what did Matthew do? Now, I'm a youth pastor. I will wait here as long as I need to until somebody answers my question. What did he do? He followed him. It wasn't a whole banter of this is why you should do that. It was the fact that Jesus called upon him to come out and follow him and Matthew just got up and followed him. Now, 
I've always thought about this. This is the Holy Spirit getting a hold of Nancy and saying, get up, just follow this guy. Don't ask any questions. But then I started to read a little bit. And while that is true because the Holy Spirit is always at work, but I also know the fact that Matthew had done his research on Jesus. He knew the Jesus brand. You see, when you read through the book of Matthew, I told you it's kind of funny that all the way in chapter 9, here we are talking about his calling. But a lot of things that, G, that Matthew refers to in the scripture happened before his calling. And one of these things is the Sermon on the Mount. And it just leads me to believe that Matthew wasn't dumb about Jesus, that he knew who Jesus was and he knew what he taught. He was probably there when Jesus preached that sermon before he took up the calling to be a follower of Christ. Don't you follow the people? Don't you, don't you watch the branding of the things that you follow? I mean, it gets crazy because there are people that will only eat at a certain restaurant because they support the people that you support. That's why John Calipari does a lot of commercials down in Central Kentucky. He does. Bank commercials and everything else. And you know what? There are people that walk into those banks and make deposits based on the fact that John Calipari banks there. You know what? John Calipari never says in any of those commercials that he banks there. He just talks about the nice people and all the great things. So you don't know whether that is. So a lot of people do research based on that. Think about Amazon. They're the kings. They're the kings of understanding branding and how you can draw people in. And they create things. They, do you know or do you remember? I, know, I shouldn't say do you know. Do you remember the fact of what Amazon started? You know what the first thing they sold was? Something that kids don't use anymore. Yeah. They were a bookseller. And if they remained a bookseller, they wouldn't be Amazon today. But they knew they had to brand themselves in other ways. And it's amazing. You watch the Kroger brand. You watch all these things. We do our research on who is doing what. And we have an opinion about it. And Matthew had done exactly the same thing. So Jesus had a brand. Second brand that you run into is Matthew's brand. What was Matthew's job or vocation? Tax collector. Mm. By the way, you now are within one month of when yours has to be done, in case you didn't know that. Tax collector. And tax collectors back then were a little bit different than they are today. You realize that Matthew had to sell out on his faith? He left his faith to become a tax collector because he had to choose money over spiritual things. Tax collectors were notorious for cheating people. They were, noticed, they were noted for being people that had gone into cahoots with the Romans who were in charge of everything, and they were giving, uh, giving a skim. They were noted to be the richest people in town. So when you talk about branding... Matthew wasn't doing a great job for himself, was he? And it breeds me back to myself. That when I walk around and I talk to people, I have to understand that I have a brand on me. And it's what Jeff allows that brand to be. 
See, Jesus Christ didn't save me to be working for the world and to be working for all those things. And Matthew had that messed up. But instead, he put us on an island almost where we have to work and protect the message that God sent his son here to deliver. And that was that I love everybody. In that day, as you continue to read here in the scripture, and it talks about the fact that Matthew had invited Jesus and the disciples over to the house. Now, it doesn't say what the disciples were saying, but I, just knowing the way that people are, there's probably one or two of them are going, I really don't want to go in there and, and kind of be around these people. But you know what? They did. And as they go in there and Jesus is lounging around the table and he's spending time with people around the table and he's meeting people where they're at, he is showing them love and mercy and grace and he's showing them that they are important. And that's what we're called to do as Christians. But I'm going to tell you this, that until you accept that for yourself, don't bother trying to pass that message on to somebody else. One of the things that breaks my heart is that I know that there are Christians that still live with that stigma of I'm not good enough. And I'm going to tell you, you'll never be good enough. This broken man in front of you, I screw up and I mess up so many times in my life and I realize that I'm never going to be good enough. But when I call on the name of Jesus, I know he's sitting right there with me. And I know that when I break bread and remember him in a special time of reverence, that he's with me. Because he sees the broken people as his mission. As a matter of fact, he says that to the Pharisees. Number one is, how did they get in the party? Really, who invites the people you're, you're most critic uh, to your party? Do you just, and like Matthew was just trying to show off, look what I'm doing for everybody. And that doesn't say that in Scripture. I'm sitting there going, wondering how they get in the party. But even though they're at the party, Jesus overhears them talking about the fact that they're asking the question to the disciples, why in the world is your teacher spending time with these sinners? Now, I want you to understand the kind of people that were probably in that room. Because when the, when, when the Pharisees talked about things like that, they included all the people. So you're probably talking about not only tax collectors, probably talking about prostitutes, probably talking about thieves. You know you're talking about liars and slanderers. You know you're talking about people that uh, bear false witness so many times. So it really, really confused the Pharisees to the point where they couldn't understand because they're trying to live by the law. And the only way through their law was is you had to have sacrifice in order to receive grace and atonement. And Jesus is sitting there at a table and he's offering it to them freely. And you notice that Jesus cuts right at them and says, really quick, he says, this isn't, I didn't come here to save or I didn't come here to doctor on all the healthy people. I came here for the sick people. And do you know who the sick people are? It's us. It's us. Because every day we wake up 
and we have the best intention for the day. But it doesn't matter. Satan is going to work against us and find ways to pull us into it, whether it be through gossip, whether it be through judgmental uh, thoughts, whether it be through our tongue. Sometimes it's through a lack of faith. Where he, he just pulls our faith down. Well, nothing can fix this situation. The, every day we wake up and we're faced in the same manner that they were, that these people weren't worthy, but they couldn't understand it because Jesus is looking at them and saying, I didn't come in here to save the healthy people. And here's the funny thing about it is, do you know who was healthy in that room? Anybody? Jesus. So even though the Pharisees are sitting there and they're making that kind of judgment, Jesus knows in his mind, already knows in his heart, the guys that are sitting there, they're no better off than those people over there. They're guilty of sins themselves. Remember the whoever is without sin cast the first stone story? But he knew the Pharisees weren't going to get it. Matter of fact, he told them, he says, why don't you go away and think about what I've told you and let that make a difference in your life. Because I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I didn't come to call the righteous, but the sinner. Today, guys, Jesus didn't come in this place. He didn't let his Holy Spirit walk into this place to save the righteous. Because if a person walks in this room and thinks they're righteous, they've got deeper problems. You walk into this room and you can sit there and go, you know, God, because I, I, I deal with this. I'm a sinner every day. You know what? Let me tell you something. You've got the cure in your hand. Because in those moments, that's when Jesus sends in that Holy Spirit to let you know that you don't have to be that way. And the altar is always open and I'm always going to be here for you. And I don't care if you've been a Christian for one day or 100 years. If you sit in church and you think that I'm okay today and, and I've got this handled, that's Satan just putting a blind spot in front of you. It's not saying that we're horrible people. It's saying that just as he did when he was with Matthew's in Matthew's house, these people matter to me, and I care about those people. And even though they struggle, I, I want to be their Savior. I want to be their cure. And there is no reason why you continue to carry those burdens around with you. Because he gives us an opportunity to do it. In just a few moments, uh, the praise band is going to come up here and they're going to lead us in a time of invitation. As they do that, my hope to you is the fact that you heed that. You take this opportunity. Maybe you don't know Jesus Christ as a personal Savior, but you need to know him. And I'd be happy to share that with you. Kent is a wonderful, wonderful, blessed man to talk to. And it's the one desire that he kind of puts in front of all of us and reminds us every day. Not that we don't know it, but he reminds us every day that we're here for one purpose, and that's to be bring people into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. If I go all the way back to my story, there's a story. Uh, I, I was talking about a party. I love a party. And my hope is that everybody um, loves a party too. But I remember the story that I read not too long ago about 
a judge down in South Carolina on the Supreme Court. And it said that he went home one day. And as he walked in the door, he realized something was wrong because his wife was sitting there. And she goes, I've had enough. I can't handle it. Your three-year-old daughter is driving me nuts. He looks at her and says, what happened? And he says, her turtle died. I've had three-year-olds three times. I'm going to tell you, everything is a tragedy in their life. Isn't it? So he walks into her room, and there she is. She's standing the floor, sitting on her bed, and in the middle of the floor there lays the dead turtle. And she is inconsolable, and she's been crying about that dead turtle all day long. And he walks up to her, and he says, honey, it's all right. And he says, you know, animals don't live as long as we do, but she kept on crying. She said, honey, you know what? After dinner tonight, when your mom gets done, we're all going to drive down to the pet store, and we're going to buy you a new turtle. Just like the one you got. See, three-year-olds are great because they'll ask every question in the world and drive you absolutely crazy from the back seat. You know what I'm talking about. But they're getting a little bit wiser and they start to figure out that not everything adds up. And his daughter looked at him through all of her tears and crying and said, you know what? It's not the same. It'll never be the same turtle. That turtle's laying there. Finally, he looks over and he goes, honey, He says, I can't tell you what we're going to do. We're going to throw a party. Everybody loves a party. Her head came up and she looked at him and he says, we're going to gather around and I'm going to call your friends down the street and we're going to come up and we're going to have ice cream, we're going to have cake, we're going to have balloons and we're going to celebrate the life of your turtle. We're going to celebrate the life of that turtle because he meant so much to you. And she actually got a smile on her face and goes, Daddy, you'd do that? And he goes, absolutely, honey, anything for you. They both stood there. They looked down at the turtle. turtle flipped over. Started to walk. Miraculous? No. And in the silence of that room, he said, my little three-year-old daughter taught me a lesson that I was never to forget as a father about how much people love the party and how much people want to be included. Said that that turtle started walking across the porch, she looked at me, she goes, Daddy, can we kill it? <laughs> I hear that story and I think about the fact that a lot of times in our lives there's a lot of stuff that we need to get rid of in our lives. Not our pet turtle, just so we can have an excuse to have a party. But it really comes down to this, guys, that on that day when God comes back, I want to see everybody there. See, it's not the people in my church. It ain't be the people that are sitting alone at Trish's. It ain't be about the people that are walking along the road and don't have a ride. It can be talking about the people that are sitting over in jail cells because they continually have things in their lives that they struggle with. And we know there's a lot of struggles in this world, so it should be our eyes to have like Jesus Christ did in that upper room that we should try to take everybody to the party with us. And not only that we want them to come to church parties, but we should be the ones that when they walk in that back door, if we don't know them, we scoot over, we jump up and we run back and welcome them and invite them to sit with us. And we get to know them. Because Jesus proved over and over again in the New Testament that it was relational. It wasn't about reading. 
It wasn't about sacrifice. It was relational that makes the difference in our life. So over these next couple of weeks, think about that. Jesus is. What is Jesus in your life today? Now we're going to have a time of invitation. See if I can get Danny's attention. Hey. You can't hear me. Oh, okay. And I'm the one that's old. That's what just blows my mind, huh? So we're going to have a moment of invitation. Now I want you to ask yourself that question in your heart today and answer that question. What is Jesus to me? And if there's a part of you that needs to work that out and you need to take the time today, come up and let us pray with you. Altar is open if you want to come up and have prayer. We offer that to you. Communion's on both sides. Just take some time to be with God and let him know that he had a purpose. And when he calls you out like he called Matthew out, don't hesitate. Understand it's Jesus that I'm feeling in my heart.